0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome into this Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Blessed to have you with us. We know you are joining us from uh, various places around the community, around the state, around the country, and and, uh, around the world. So welcome into this time of worship. Uh, This service is essentially what we had put together and planned for this day uh, prior to all of the events of this past week. Uh, And as we prayerfully considered how we might uh, change or adjust to uh, be responsive uh, to the context that is so radically changed, we realized that Pentecost Sunday uh, is exactly what we would have hoped for. Uh, the context and the language as already uh, We've entered into this time of worship in the words of the confession and the absolution in the words of the opening hymn to the song Paul and Amy just sang. I invite you to go back over this service as the week progresses and read the lyrics the scriptures the words the message the uh a uh, statement we're about to begin with was written prior to any of uh, the uh, events of this week as they have evolved and unfolded uh, from heartfelt protests to uh, instigators and agitators uh, trying to shift the focus away from a, a response uh, to a tragic uh, killing. So here we are on Pentecost uh, Sunday, uh, and we had intended to read a sermon written by Barbara Brown Taylor well before years ago any of these things happened. But as you hear these words this morning, you hear them in the context we find ourselves in. This is the church, this is the gospel, and we uh, did not know what God had planned for these words to mean when we set about sharing them uh, just a, a week or so ago. The homepage of the Racial Justice Ministries of the ELCA states, we believe that Christ's church is for all people. God calls each of us by name. That was true for George Floyd, a child of God who was executed on the street Monday night, while fully restrained, handcuffed, and held prone on the ground.
1: Executed? By a Minneapolis police officer? Who ignored his pleas for breath? and the condemning commentary of nearby witnesses, narrating in real time as it happened.
0: Executed by his officer colleagues who did not step in to stop that killing.
1: Executed by systemic racism that devalues human lives, certain human lives, while pretending people simply get what they have coming.
0: If you have trouble seeing this, Simply imagine that officer had his knee on the neck of one of our blonde haired blue-eyed girls, Lydia or Clara, for eight minutes with his hands in his pockets the entire time.
1: The ELCA statement goes on to say, It is not our job to sort, divide, categorize, or exclude. But as saints and sinners, we know and experience God's work of healing and restoring as well as the persistent human pain and injustice of racism in the world.
0: This is where God has put us, in the thick of life, where we participate in what God is doing by insisting on justice and upholding human dignity for the inclusion of all people in the life of the church and society.
1: We are called to be a church that embraces each person and confronts racial, ethnic, cultural, religious, age, gender, familial, sexual orientation, physical, personal, and class barriers that often manifest themselves in unjust treatment, inequality, exclusion, and violence.
0: When we confront racism and move toward fairness and justice in the church and society, we all benefit. We begin to understand that each of us has a unique story, as did George Floyd. And we are all part of a larger rich story
1: We are about to share a Pentecost sermon by Barbara Brown Taylor. At the beginning of this message, she says this.
0: Did you know the word conspire means to breathe together? Take a breath. Now blow it out again. There, you have just launched a conspiracy. You can hear the word spirit in there to Conspire to be filled with the same spirit, to be enlivened by the same wind.
1: These are troubled times when we are asked to wear a mask to shield others from our breath in public places.
0: I can't breathe, George Floyd cried over and over again. He cried out for his mama.
1: At the end of today's sermon, Barbara Brown Taylor says, take a breath and now keep breathing. This is God's moment-by-moment gift.
0: May the Spirit of God move us to see the sacred in every person and to conspire to use our privilege on behalf of all.
1: The Gospel of the Holy Spirit. A sermon by Barbara Brown Taylor. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting.
0: Did you know the word conspire means to breathe together? Take a breath, now blow it out again there. You have just launched a conspiracy. You can hear the word spirit in there too, to conspire, to be filled with the same spirit, to be enlivened by the same wind. That is why the word appeals to me anyhow. What happens between us when we come together to worship is that the Holy Spirit swoops in among us, knitting us together through the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the breaths we breathe. It can happen with two people and it can happen with 2,000 people. It can scare us or comfort us, confuse us or clarify things for us. But as far as I can tell, the Holy Spirit never bullies us. We are always free to choose whether or how we will respond.
1: Now take another breath. If you have studied earth science, then you know that our gorgeous blue-green planet is wrapped in a protective veil we call the atmosphere, which separates the air we breathe from the cold vacuum of outer space. Beneath this veil is all the air that ever was. No cosmic planet-cleaning company comes along every hundred years or so to suck all the old air out and pump in some new. That same ancient air just keeps recirculating which means that every time any of us breathes, we breathe stardust left over from the creation of the earth. We breathe brontosaurus breath and pterodactyl breath. We breathe air that has circulated through the rainforests of Kenya and air that has turned yellow with sulfur over Mexico City. We breathe the same air that Plato breathed and Mozart and Michelangelo, not to mention Hitler. Every time we breathe, we take in what was once some baby's first breath or some dying person's last. We take it in. We use it to live. And when we breathe it out, it carries some of us with it to the next person. Or tree. Or blue-tailed skink. Who uses it to live
0: when jesus let go of his last breath willingly we believe for love of us that breath hovered in the air in front of him for a moment and then it was set loose on the earth it was such pungent breath so full of passion so full of life that it did not simply dissipate as so many breaths do It grew in strength and in volume until it was a mighty wind, which God sent spinning through an upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. God wanted to make sure that Jesus' friends were the inheritors of Jesus' breath, and it worked.
1: There they were. About 120 of them, Luke says, all moping around, wondering what they were going to do without Jesus, when they heard a holy hurricane headed their way. Before any of them could defend themselves, that mighty wind had blown through the entire house, striking sparks that burst into flames above their heads, and they were filled up with it. Every one of them was filled to the gills with God's own breath. When something clamped down on them and the air came out of them in languages they did not even know they knew.
0: Like a room full of bagpipes all going at once, they set up such a racket that they drew a crowd. People from all over the world who were in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost came leaning in the windows and pushing through the door, surprised to hear someone speaking their own language so far from home. Parthians, stuck their heads through the door, expecting to see other Parthians, and Libyans looked around for other Libyans, but what they saw instead were a bunch of Galileans, rural types from northern Israel, dressed in the equivalent of first-century overalls, all of them going on and on about God's mighty acts like a bunch of PhDs in Middle Eastern languages.
1: Before the day was over, the church had grown from 120 to more than 3,000. Shy people had become bold, scared people had become gutsy, and lost people had found a sure sense of direction. Disciples who had not believed themselves capable of tying their own sandals without Jesus discovered abilities within themselves they never knew they had. When they opened their mouths to speak, they sounded like Jesus. When they laid their hands upon the sick, it was as if Jesus had touched them. In short order, they were doing things they had never seen anyone but Jesus do, and there was no explanation for it, except that they had dared to inhale on the day of Pentecost. They had sucked in God's own breath, and they had been transformed by it. The Holy Spirit had entered into them the same way it entered into Mary, the mother of Jesus, and for the same reason, it was time for God to be born again not in one body this time, but in a body of believers who would receive the breath of life from their Lord and pass it on using their own bodies to distribute
0: the gift. The book of Acts is the story of their adventures, which is why I like to think of it as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. In the first four books of the New Testament, we learn the good news of what God did through Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, We learned the good news of what God did through the Holy Spirit by performing artificial resuscitation on a room full of well-intentioned bumblers and turning them into a force that changed the history of the world.
1: The question for me is whether we still believe in a God who acts like that. Do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and sets our heads on fire? Do we still believe in a God with the power to transform us as individuals and as a people? Or have we come to some unspoken agreement that our God is, you know, pretty old and tired by now, someone to whom we may address our prayer requests, but not anyone we really expect to change our lives?
0: Of all the persons of the Trinity, I suppose the Holy Spirit is the hardest to define, most of us can at least begin to describe the other two God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, who makes the sun shine and the rain fall, God the Son, who was human like us, our Savior, teacher, helper, and friend. But how would you describe God the Holy Spirit to a five year old child? Even Jesus had a hard time with that one. The Spirit blows where it chooses, he said in John's Gospel. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes.
1: There is some very fine teaching available on the Holy Spirit, and I hope none of you is satisfied with it. I hope none of you rest until you have felt the Holy Spirit blow through your own life, rearranging things, opening things up, and maybe setting your own head on fire. There is nothing you can do to make it happen, as far as I know, except to pray, come, Holy Spirit, every chance you can get. If you don't want anything to change in your life, then for heaven's sake, don't pray that. But if you are the type of person who likes to stand out on the porch when there is a storm moving through so you can feel the power that is pushing the trees around, then you are probably a good candidate for the Holy Spirit prayer.
0: Asking for an experience of the Holy Spirit is only half the equation, however. The other half is recognizing it when it comes. On the whole, I find there are a lot of people in the world who say they have never encountered God as Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, but when they start talking about their lives, it seems pretty clear to me they have. They just did not know what to call the experience. They did not have a name for it, so they wrote it off to coincidence or ESP or hormones. And maybe that is all it was for them. Each of us has the right to name our own experiences or not. But just in case you have had some things happen to you that you do not have a name for, I want to suggest some ways I believe the Holy Spirit acts.
1: One famous way is to give people a sense of new beginning. Say you've been in a bad mood for the last year. It seems as if all you were doing is moving bricks from one pile to another at work, at home, in your sleep. Just moving bricks until you do not care whether it is day or night. Then one of those nights while you're lying awake in your bed, you hear one bird sing outside. Just one. Why is that bird singing in the middle of the night, you wonder? And then you realize it is not the middle of the night anymore. It is the edge of morning. The bird chirps again, and something inside of you softens. You take a deep breath for the first time in months, and your chest opens up. You get a second wind.
0: You can call this anything you want. I call it an act of the Holy Spirit. Another trademark of the Holy Spirit is to give people a way back into relationship. Maybe this has happened to you. You are estranged from someone you really care about because of something you said or did or something the other person said or did. It really does not matter which. The point is, you are tired of it. So you start plotting ways to get through. You draft letters. You rehearse phone calls. Only none of them sounds right. You're still hanging on to your hurt or your anger, and it keeps leaking through. And then one day, for no apparent reason, something inside of you says, now, and you grab the phone, and the person says, hello? And the rest is history. Your heart opens, and the right words come out. A reunion gets underway.
1: You can call that anything you want. I call it an act of the Holy Spirit. These intimate encounters are so potent that it is easy to stop with them, but the truth is that the Holy Spirit can work with hundreds of people at the same time. I've seen it happen over and over again in large groups full of people who have come together to make decisions or seek direction. One by one, they come into a room with their own agendas. Some of them come fearfully, ready to defend themselves. Then someone says a prayer. People begin to talk. And for no apparent reason, positions begin to shift. People listen to each other and take each other seriously. They become creative together, coming up with ideas none of them had thought of on their own. It is is as if a fresh wind blows through the room and clears everyone's heads.
0: Now you can call that anything you want. I call it an act of the Holy Spirit. Once you get the hang of it, the evidence is easier and easier to spot. Whenever 2 plus 2 does not equal 4 but 5, whenever you find yourself speaking with eloquence you know you do not have or offering forgiveness you had not meant to offer, Whenever you find yourself taking risks you thought you did not have the courage to take, or reaching out to someone you had intended to walk away from, you can be pretty sure that you are learning about the gospel of the Holy Spirit. And more than that, you are taking part in it, breathing in and out, taking God into you and giving God back to the world again, with some of you attached.
1: Take a breath. Now just keep breathing. This is God's moment-by-moment gift to us. We can call it air, or we can call it Holy Spirit. It counts on us to warm it up, to lend it our lives. In return, it promises to fill us with new winds, to set our heads on fire, giving us tongues to speak of things we cannot begin to understand.
0: Do we still believe in a God who acts like that? More importantly, do we still experience a God who acts like that? I do not know what your answer is. But if you do not have one, I hope you will discover one. Join the Gospel of the Holy Spirit Conspiracy. Let's see what happens next. Turn like Orpheus, just stay here.